Hello and welcome to Energy Policy Cast, where we share recent research in energy policy. I'm your host, Daniel Sneon. Today we're joined by Juan Gea Bermudez. He's a talented PhD researcher and a colleague of mine in the Energy Economics and Regulation Group at the Technical University of Denmark. As a part of the Ensign project and the Flexpress project, Juan and his colleagues have studied a fundamental condition for the deployment of more renewables in the North Sea region. And that is the options for meshed grid infrastructure. And we'll get to what that is. But it's essentially what ties consumption and production together. But before we go into detail, Juan, welcome to uh, the podcast and Perhaps you can just briefly explain why and how you ended up in Denmark looking at meshed grids in the North Sea. Hello, Daniel. Thanks for the invitation, first of all. So, yes, so my history comes back to 2015, if I'm not wrong, when I decided to come to Denmark to do a master. And by the time I finished, I realized that I was really liking energy system analysis. And uh, I started working at ETU management as a student assistant while I was studying, then became research assistant working with energy system models. And then I was collaborating with the project that funded my PhD, one of those, uh, it's called the Enson project, North Sea Offshore Network. Um, and basically the opportunity for the PhD uh, passed by and uh, I decided to try to, to get the PhD and therefore I applied for the position and got it. And that's why I have been basically analyzing, investigating, researching on the mesh grid uh, and the North Sea uh, for this time. Right. So I think uh, I should just say that uh, we'll, of course, link to uh, Juan's study and to the projects that we talk about in, in this podcast. But Juan, what? so, so why is uh, mesh grids important uh, and what is the motivation overall of, of, of this study? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the background behind the study is that uh, probably, probably this is worldwide known that we have, a, it seems like we have a big climate issue. And because of this, we need to try to incentivize decarbonizing the energy system as soon as possible to reduce the, the impacts on climate. And because of this, we need to somehow uh, try to push cheap, affordable, renewable energy like wind and solar. And to do this, there is need for further expansion of the transmission network. To integrate more renewables, we need flexibility in the system, and part of this flexibility can come from transmission expansion. So the question about mesh grids, it's basically that they can combine in an efficient way both transmission and offshore grid investments. So, sorry, offshore wind farm investments together. So this is the point that with the possibility to build mesh grids, we can maybe take into account the synergies between transmission and offshore wind farms to try to reduce losses and costs and integrate maybe perhaps more energy from wind and solar in the system. Right, I think uh, you touched upon some of it, but why are meshed grids, I I think you basically clarified that this is dealing, uh, the term meshed grid is, is dealing with the transmission infrastructure uh, and how, how you connect uh, uh, generation and, and consumption. But why uh, are they important and why not let the countries uh, each individually handle uh, 
the the transmission infrastructure yes so traditionally uh, when a country wanted to expand or some countries wanted to expand the transmission network they would maybe just think of uh, okay let's see let's investigate this project right and let's build this line right for example let's expand like for example the viking link that would that will connect most likely Denmark and, and UK. This is a decision between two countries. But then at the same time, some countries might want to have more offshore in their system, right? So, and this is what it's called a traditional project-based approach that everybody's looking just at one project at the same time. And because of that, you don't really take into account the possible benefits of doing things together. So the concept of the mesh grid is very valuable because it involves that you plan ahead transmission and offshore on offshore wind farms at the same time and when you do this it is likely that you're going to end up in a in a cheaper system especially in the long term so this is the value of kind of the mesh grid an offshore grid uh, in the system okay that that makes good sense i think is is this uh, science fiction or do we have some kind of examples or is, is there a current infrastructure that, that is comparable to some degree to, to such uh, grids? Well, so as far as I know, uh, the Kyrgyz flag project uh, between Germany and Denmark could be somehow considered as a starting point for this. It's not exactly uh, a hub, uh, but I think it can be a very good starting point uh, to understand how these uh, wind farms that are connected to two different countries can be operated. It is a challenge, but it is therefore there, and there is a lot of lessons we can learn from them, and and it seems like it's a very good idea. Not always, right? It depends on the location, but it seems like it it is a nice precedent. Your study takes point of departure in the North Sea, uh, surrounding is a lot of countries so they have different generation portfolios i guess or what is the the sort of the current status that that you are sort of working from in in, in your studies yeah so we focus on the north sea region uh, i think it's a very nice starting point to investigate mesh grids and there is an important reason for this first of all these countries in general they have important goals for the carbonization of the system and because of that investments in renewable energy are interesting to analyze and how these investments can take place in a, in a, in a quicker um, uh, speed, it's also interesting to analyze. And the, the interesting thing about this area is that the North Sea is, has a very high, um, has good resource for, uh, for offshore wind, basically. And combining that with um, um, low depth uh, water seems uh, it makes offshore uh, wind farms very attractive. So it's a very good starting point to start trying uh, all this um, offshore grid development. So if you combine the characteristics of the North Sea, right, high capacity factors for wind, uh, the characteristics of the Nordic countries, like for example Norway, that have available a lot of um, hydro resources, which if combined with transmission expansion could be used in other countries. Um, plus everything that I have mentioned before, then you have a, a nice cocktail where wind and solar energy and flexibility provided by the system 
can be analyzed and investigated in detail. That's mm. why we focus on this system. I think that's that outlines the the geographical scope and the the differences in the system that that you've analyzed. I think there's also the the time dimensions, uh, the temporal perspective that you apply in the study, and then you've already touched upon it a bit. But but you apply these different approaches, uh, respectively, the myopic and the intertemporal. I think you call it. Can you just quickly uh, introduce me and the listeners to to those two terms and their importance in, in your study? Exactly. So in the study, we investigate uh, how would investment optimization look would look like when we think of the future when making the investment decisions, or when we don't look of the, at the future when we make the investment decision. So for example, if we don't care about what's going to happen in the future, then we could call that a myopic approach. It's just you look at it today and think that the situation today will be exactly the same tomorrow. So this can lead to suboptimal solutions. For example, if you are going to invest in a coal power plant today, and you don't know or you don't care that the CO2 price is going to increase tomorrow, then you might invest in the in coal power plant. But if you care about the future, then your decision will change. You will think, no, it's not worth it because tomorrow I'm not going to be profitable. So this is the same when planning the offshore grid. When looking at an, at an intertemporal approach, what happens is that since building the lines is expensive, there are fixed costs behind them, right? It's uh, these lines, these hubs, they need to have a certain size, otherwise it's very expensive to build them. Then fixed costs take an important part of the, they play a big role. And because of this, you can see advantages on planning ahead. So maybe what you will see happening in the results is that in the optimization, one line connecting two countries is built already early in the in time, but the hub only comes later. So it's kind of the this think this thinking of okay, let's get ready for tomorrow, and maybe tomorrow we use the line in a different way, and tomorrow we use it to dispatch wind, for example. So this planning ahead is the value of intertemporal optimization, and the results clearly show that when you think ahead and not only look at the present, you are going to save costs in the system. So I, I can say the street outside my window where I live is roughly getting uh, digged up and covered again uh, two to three times a year. So if they would apply uh, the intertemporal approach, your method, I, I suppose that uh, they would do it in a one go and then perhaps not uh, dig up my street uh, several times a year. Is that somewhat roughly equivalent uh, the kind perspective of. that you apply? Kind <laughs> of, yes. <laughs> okay, that's good. Perhaps you can also do some consultancy for the municipality of Copenhagen, but uh, <laughs> we, we, can, we can do that at a little later point. So on, on the uh, results side, uh, I was a bit surprised to learn from your study that apparently, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the consequence for the deployment of renewables is is essentially not that big on the capacity or the energy side. Is, is that true? Yes. So what we found out was that uh, 
so basically what we investigated was let's compare a scenario where we have the possibility to build a mesh grid and let's compare it with the possibility where we don't have that. So everything needs to be connected in the traditional way. So all the wind farms need to be radially connected and all the transmission lines need to be connected to one country, nothing about hubs in the middle. And then we compare that to the possibility. What if we introduce this possibility? Nothing was forced. And then what we saw was that the optimization results actually liked to invest in a part of wind farms connected hub, uh, to hubs and part of it connected to, uh, to uh, in the traditional way. Um, sorry, Daniel, I think I forgot the question. So uh, I deviated a little bit. Yeah, so 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 the question was what the, the quite limited amount of uh, impact on the various scenarios that you explore on the deployment and the use of renewables. That was a bit surprising to me to see. Yes, exactly. It was surprising. And the thing is that what we found out was that the configuration of the mesh grid overall in terms of generation and production didn't have big impact as when considering a variable renewable energy as aggregated but what we found out was that when the possibility to build a mesh grid was there then offshore wind was favored with respect to onshore wind and solar pv so to summarize when you allow the optimization to build hub connected wind farms together with transmission lines then more offshore is profitable in the system and if you build more offshore then you need to build less of something and in this case what we found out was that roughly it was basically decreasing solar pv and onshore wind investments but in total in our scenarios we didn't see a big increase in renewable penetration per se when this configuration was different Further studies are required, though. Yes, and thanks for the adding the researcher caveat. Uh, I, I, I guess further studies are always needed. On the cost side, the impact is a bit stronger, isn't it, of the system overall? Yes. So what we found out was that precisely in terms of generation of total variable renewable energy, the, the difference was not very high. But in, ter in terms of costs, the cheaper where uh, the system where you have the possibility to build the mesh grid gets cheaper. This is because you have to think that there are sometimes uh, uh, locations in the system where you can save costs uh, and reduce losses if you build offshore hub connected. And this was the main difference in these scenarios that you by doing this, you can take advantage of locations that beforehand they were too far away. So, for example, if you had a location which is very far away from shore, to connect that to shore is very expensive and the losses will probably be quite high. But if you can build this hub in between transmission interconnection between countries, then it like, since you're already going to build the line, why not build the hub inside in, in between the line? So this is the concept and this is where all the cost savings, mostly all of them are coming from. All right, that that makes sense, and I think uh, you, you've made the point regarding uh, having a meshed grid compared to uh, typically a, a, a radial uh, grid, which is, I guess, more typically applied. But on the planning horizon, uh, I guess what you've also argued is that that long-term planning in these kinds of system is generally a good thing. 
Isn't isn't that the case? Exactly, it is the case. As I was mentioning before, the the key idea here is that if you build a line, you're going to have to pay fixed costs. That if you plan the the line in the right way, then you can take advantage of this situation and plan it ahead. So mm. you don't have to build two lines is and maybe you can just build one from the beginning. So you can save this fixed cost associated to this line investment, for example. The key here is the fixed costs. Right. Is is there anything working against uh, both on the temporal scale but also on, on the meshed scale? Yes. As, uh, as the ideal situations? Yes, that's a very good question. Uh, so why don't if this is uh, economically viable, why don't we see it more, right? Well, first of all, because uh, it is a complex matter in terms of regulation. Each country has different regulations. They have different goals and they have maybe different. They maybe they don't know. They do not trust the neighbor. Right. It, it can happen. And because of that, building stuff in a cooperative way is more difficult. So ideally, If we forget about nationalities and we look at Europe as a whole, then we will see that it seems optimal to try to interconnect each country as possible, as much as possible. But when you look at when you when you think about security in within each country, countries somehow so far are reluctant to try to depend too much on other countries. And all the mesh grids or most of the mesh grid is based on transmission expansion, right? So because of this, it might be difficult to 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 carry out this, but it is possible. And that's why currently there is a lot of work going on to try to incentivize, to try to reduce the barriers uh, and be able to actually manage to build such a system that uh, as many other studies show, it would lead to the least amount of costs in the system. Mm. Is uh, now you you you've done your study on the North Sea, but but uh, you just mentioned Europe, for instance. Is is the findings that that you've made here are they to some degree transferable to to other contexts as well? Yes, the concept here is about the following: a mesh grid is about integrating transmission and wind farms. And there are some locations in the world where this makes sense. In the North Sea, it's it's one of the best places, I would say, because of the low depth water, right? But it's about investigating the locations in each of the part of the world, right? But the good, the interesting thing that we found out was that it was not one solution for everything for every country. Some countries have different characteristics that make them maybe less interested in building hub. This is, for example, the case that we observe for UK. UK has a vast um, area surrounding the, uh, the country that basically uh, makes hub-connected offshore not so interesting. Uh, you have a lot of land, uh, uh, you have a lot of sh- um, um, area where you can build radially connected uh, wind farms, so you don't need to go farther. But other countries, like, for example, Norway, they have much limited space where they can build wind farms. So they need to go far from shore to do this. And when all this combination takes place, that you need to go far from shore, build a lot of uh, wind farms connected together, then these are the right conditions to build the hub connected 
uh, wind farms. Of course, there are many more details, but this is the essence of the story. That's really interesting. So I guess I guess the takeaway is that that at least you should open for the option of doing a mesh grid, but but that will not always be the case, and it highly dependent on on context and essentially cheap access uh, to crossing from onshore to offshore. Maybe if you allow me one more comment, I would exactly. like to mention sure. that um, to actually carry out the mesh grid, I strongly believe that we need to forget about national goals and national, uh, well, at least reduce the the emphasis on that and, and make a stronger point on the European average uh, objectives. Because the optimal solution might be to build, for example, uh, a wind farm hub um, in Danish waters and not connected to Denmark. This is controversial, but it might be the best uh, use of the economical resources on average in Europe. So I just wanted to emphasize this point. Uh, to to. <laughs> I'm surprised. So, so what you're saying is that there is no such thing as Danish electrons? No, it doesn't exist. In <laughs> terms of money, when you care about the full European uh, average person, there's not such things as the, as the Danish electron. All right. The energy but... flows where it's needed. And uh, for example, Germany has much higher demand than Denmark and higher need for decarbonization. Denmark already is doing very well in their goals. I think that was nice to end on a note on cross-border uh, collaboration among the countries to towards the, the greater target. Um, I'm curious regarding the, the future targets. Uh, is uh, there, There's been quite a lot of discussion, at least uh, in Denmark uh, and, and in the North Sea, perhaps on energy islands. So essentially, hubs or centers of production which is placed offshore uh, perhaps with the option of generating hydro hydrogen or other fuels is these new discussions uh, relevant for you your research and, and perhaps you can explain in, in what regard yes i mean uh, they very much affect uh, what i'm investigating in my phd you can think that this paper has very limited separate coupling uh, but now we are actually currently investigating on introducing more sector coupling possibilities like power to X. And what this paper shows already is that mesh grid seems to be a good idea for some locations. And maybe combined with power to X, it's even a even better idea. So mm. the fact that the countries are considering building this energy island based on the research carried out in this paper, it seems to be going in the right direction especially in the Danish water side. Um, but of course, it's going to be a long process and uh, it's gonna, going to require some effort from the institutions and to, re again, remove the barriers that uh, are limiting it. That's going to be exciting to see when, when we'll actually see uh, these islands materialize and how, how they will be integrated. We are through with the questions, but but in the final section of the podcast, the peer review, I just want to requ request if you've got any fun or interesting or exciting recommendations for the listeners uh, that, that you want to propose. 
Well, uh, I would strongly uh, encourage people to hear more about uh, two projects. First one is the, the Enson project, which is the one mostly funding my PhD. Also, the Flex for Rest is also very interesting, but also the promotion project. They have also been investigating uh, of mesh grid development. Uh, so I think they are very nice uh, projects that one person looking at how mesh grids are going to affect our lives in the future. And yes, definitely, I think this could be a nice starting point. And I think at least also in the Flex4S project, the message was that the cross-border optimization of energy systems was uh, providing to the greater good. So I guess that's a message that, that's carrying through in many of the projects. We'll certainly make, make sure to link to, to uh, those projects in the notes of the podcast, but of course also to uh, Juan's interesting paper. So thank you so much, Juan. Uh, that was a pleasure, and I, I, I learned a lot during uh, this discussion and by reading your paper, and I hope the, the listeners will, will do as well. Thank you very much, Daniel. As always, you can find links to the resources mentioned in the podcast in the notes to this episode. I'm very happy to hear your comments, so get in touch with me, Daniel Sneel. My details are also in the notes. If you rate us in whatever platform you're using, you may also help the research reach new ears. Sound design is by Dia Caesar, and the podcast is hosted by Technical University of Denmark's Sustainability Division. We publish whenever there is new research and when we can make schedules meet. So consider Energy Policy Cast more as a surprise gift in your podcast feed than a regular broadcast. Thank you for listening.